Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll begin this evening with a uh, a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Mayam varnayatomustya isvarashya numodhita shrinvata shradaya nityam maya yatma na muyati. Translation. If the jiva constantly describes maya in relation to the Lord, remembering maya, or hears about maya with proper faith, he will not be bewildered by maya. It's from the second canto, seventh chapter, very last verse in the chapter, discussion between Brahma and Narada. And Vishwanath says the following in regards to this. Bhakti characterized by hearing and chanting the pastimes and whose subjects are the names and pastimes of the Lord, such as lifting Govardhan and his Leela avatars are all spiritual and full of bliss. But the pastimes of the Purusha avatars dealing with, the, with Maya Shakti predominantly, with his glance over Prakriti, the production of Mahatattva, and then Ahankar are all related to Maya. Should one describe Maya or not? This verse answers, The description of Maya as an assistant to the process of chanting, remembering, and hearing is also bhakti. He should have faith that even Maya Shakti of the Lord, along with her expansion as Mahatattva and other elements, is a devotee with the greatest devotion. This will be explained in the third canto, in the reverse, in the verses recited by the elements. Thus, the pure devotees should hear about Maya and Mahatattva with, the, with this way of thinking. The Jiva Atma is not bewildered by Maya. Pastimes of the Lord related to Maya are not Maya. Rather, they are transcendental. And then, interesting enough, Vishwanath ends this paragraph his commentary on this verse by quoting a verse from the 11th canto and the verse from the 11th canto uh, relates that to reside in a place of pilgrimage or a place where the Lord has enacted his pastimes is, is the most beneficial. It's more beneficial than residing any place else. And to think about such a place is more beneficial than any, anything else. So the verse is talking about where Krishna performs his pastimes. So one would question, well, why is Vishwanath using this to sum up the whole paragraph that he's just presented where he's saying that we need to learn some Bandhagyan rooted in a, in a deep understanding of the Lord's external energy. One would question, why would you, such a heavy, such a, such a, such a verse as that. But this is really the, again, it, it goes to emphasize the consciousness of Krishna's pure devotees. That here Vishwanath is looking at the Lord's whole material energy as a playground for the enactment of Paramatma's Leela, 
So therefore, just to even think about it in those terms is is good. Is, he doesn't. He's not. The verse itself is talking about specific places in the material world where Krishna enacts lila. But Vishwanath is saying for the whole material world, Krishna is enacting a lila. So if you think about the world in relationship to Krishna, then that's ultimately beneficial. <laughs> so I mean, the verse is well known uh, regarding remembering the pastime places of the Lord and their significance. But Vishwanath, I mean, such a generous disposition when it comes to understanding, you know, to an understanding of the of the depth of the compassion of Krishna's devotees. So you're having to study the Sandarbhas and you're learning about Maya and it's kind of like, I'd rather hear about Krishna Lista lifting over on hill or frolicking in the in the kunj with the gopis or frolicking in the pastures with the cowherd boys or you know suckling the breast of uh, mother yasoda these are real pastimes this is leela this is what's really going to give me my spiritual advancement and vishwanath saying well actually it's spiritual advances is, is to be had even in understanding the lord's external potency and you should not look at such a study of Maya as Maya. So with that in mind, we'll continue with our study of Maya. Uh, we're in the 58th Anucheda of the Paramatma Sandarbha. And Vishwanath, this is a, it's a, an extremely long uh, Anucheda. And it's been divided into four subparts. We've gone over the first subpart, which is really gave us the understanding that it's a real transformation. The material world is a real transformation of the Lord's energy. It's not just an imaginary, you know, it's it's not like a mirage in the desert. And, uh, you know, it's really there. So in the Anacheda itself, at the beginning, it says, So it is to be concluded that Bhagavan's transrational power alone is the cause of the appearance of duality. The fact is that the Absolute has inconceivable potency by which it can perform supra-logical feats. It can manifest the world. So we're going to go up to on to the second part of this 58th Anucheda. Um, the world is a real transformation of Pradhan. And here, Jiva Goswami states in the Sandarbha as follows. There, in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, it was also concluded that the absolute untransformed existence, Paramatma, is transformed by his own inconceivable potency. By this, it is to be understood that the transformation undergone by Paramatma is not that of his essential being, Swarup. Rather, it is only that of his potency called Dravya, elemental substance or matter, in the form of the evolutes emanating from 
but a semblance of his essential being, endowed with the quality of existence sought alone. The Chintamani gem also functions similarly. Therefore, because the universe is rooted in Paramatma, the principle that he is its upadan or constituent cause is not disproven. This is expressed by Bhagavan Sri Krishna in the 11th canto. Then he quotes from the 11th canto the following verse. Prakriti is the constituting cause, upadan, of this reality, the universe. The supreme person, Parapurusha, is the substratum, Adara, and time is its manifestor. But I am Brahman, which comprehends these three. So here Jeeva is saying it's it's in it's although it's beyond log, our logical reasoning power to understand how the spiritual person the spiritual Brahman Paramatma can can manifest a material universe from his very self and the constituents of the universe and the actions with that are conducted within the universe seem to to be opposed to everything that we conceive of or know of at this time as a spirit so it's it's bewildering how how is this possible so there's a few interesting things in just the beginning of this part of the Anacheda that it's not his essential nature. So his swarup, his essential spiritual nature, is, is not transformed in any way to make the material world. What it says here, it's an interesting translation, rather it is only that of his potency called dravya, his potency of elemental substances. In its, and those in their most elemental form before manifestation are referred to as pradhan and by various other names which as we go on it will be explained. So it's his potency, dravya. It's like an energy of the Lord and it's an energy whereby matter comes into existence emanating from but a semblance of his essential being a semblance it's almost like him but it's it's separated in some way but it's still his energy it's not logical it's super logical it's something you know, it's it's an inconceivable potency. And we we see, especially we saw this back in the in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, that that's one of the essential characteristic of the Lord's own very own being. 
he can have contradictory energies and perform contradictory um, manifest contradictory energies and perform what would appear to be contradictory things, things that would be in opposition to each other, he can perform those and he can manifest those and it does. he's not in any way affected by that. That's really difficult for us, this whole concept of a chinta, inconceivable. It's inconceivable, but that's the way of the world. That's the way the Supreme Lord is. And a lot of spiritual aspirants, those aspiring for transcendental knowledge, when they hit this wall, it's like, it's, it's very difficult. It's like, wait, there's suffering in the world. There's no suffering in God. Well, that doesn't compute. It's like, I, I can't get past that. So there must not be a God because if I was God, I'd do it this way. Well, you're not God and God can do it that way and he can still be the most merciful, compassionate, loving, sweetest personality in it, that there is and still there can be ignorance manifest in his external energy. To those who misidentify with it. So there's really a science underlying all this, all the misconceptions that would lead us to, to this barrier in transcendental understanding. So it's, it's, it's interesting because you're always going to have arguments with the atheistic class. They're going to say, well, there can't be a God. How could there be a God? My grandmother just died. And she was the sweetest person in the world. And a robber came in her house and shot her dead. And she's never stolen a thing. And she's never, you know, and you're like, okay, you have a valid point there. But let's look Really, was that your grandmother? And then you have to, you have to, then we begin a whole course of transcendental education, Sambanda Gyan. And we come to what? Well, we go, we go to a similar story in the Bhagavatam. There was a king and he had hundreds of queens and he couldn't get one of them pregnant. Not one of them. So he finally, he, Along comes a sage, and the sage wanted to give him transcendental knowledge, but he couldn't get there. He was so hung up on having a son. I'm a king. Look at all these women that I have. Why can't I? Why are they all barren? You know. So. All right. So, I believe it was Angira Muni, was it? So Angira said, 
I, I'm not going to be able to give this guy any, any transcendental knowledge at this time. He's got to get past this. So he gave him a benediction. And here, here's a, there's a fire sacrifice, and here's some sweet rice, and it's blessed, and the potion, you know, you can imagine. It's like a potion, really, isn't it? It's like a little potion. You know, it's, a, it's a cup of sweet rice that's been blessed by a sage. She drinks it, and she gets pregnant. Of course, he did tell the king that this son will be what? Harsha Shoka. Harsha Shoka. He's going to bring you great pleasure. And he's going to bring you great misery. So the child's born, and everybody's in bliss. The whole palace is, is just, you know, over, overflowing with joy. The child has come. The king is so happy. Finally, I have a child. This is this is great. This wife, this wife, this is the wife. <laughs> she was so loving. She's the best wife of all the wives because she gave me the child. And the other wives are there like, wait a minute here. I'm getting the short end of the stick. We don't really like this so much. And it went on like that and he just kept praising and, and, and really showing extraordinary love and 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 compassion for the wife that bore the child. And the other wives were like, yeah, that's not going to work for us. We can't have this. This is, look, I hardly see the man anymore. He never even comes to my chamber anymore. He's only with the with her. He's only praising her. We go to the court, and there she is, right in the front, in the fancy dresses. She gets all the new cloth before we do it. You know, can imagine it goes on and on, and they, so they had to they had to do something about it, and they said, well, they mixed up a potion, they mixed up their own potion, and they gave it to the child, and he died. So <laughs> there it was, the joy of his life was now his greatest misery, and then. Back come the sages, the sadhus, this time with Narada. And, uh, of course, they bring some, some, some life back to the child. Of course, the child had already left. But Narada took on with his mystic opulence, and he spoke through the, through the child had been brought back to life. And he says, you're my mother? You're my father? What makes you think you're my mother and you're my father and you're my my aunt and you're my stepmother? What what kind of consciousness is this? You're not you I'm here now. I'm I'm gone. I'm dead. I'm alive. This material world, this material body, all these relationships. So Nard is preaching to him and the king is becoming enlightened, which is what and Giramuvini wanted in the first place was to enlighten him and give him something that was really substantial. Because guess what? You can't take your son with you. You can't take the sweet wife that gave you the child with you or any of your other wives or your kingdom or any of that. So see what you really are, your spirit. Learn from this. 
The child can bring you joy. The child can bring you misery. But whether it's a child or a Lamborghini, it's it's still just a combination of, of energy. So the atheist is there, and he's going to say, well, my grandmother was just killed by a robber, and you're, she's not your grandmother. It takes it takes a quite a while to get somebody to that point, to get us to the point of recognizing what we are and what we are not and what this world of Maya is. And it's not Maya to learn the lessons of Maya. They're there for a purpose. So, the material world is coming from a semblance of his essential being, not from his swarup directly. So it's, what, it, what is that semblance? It's like a shadow. And Maya is sometimes looked upon like that. Maya stays behind the Lord. Maya's like, she, she, she's, she has such, she has such a sense of service, but she refuses to, to, to offer that service in a direct manner. Although she's given an opportunity through special circumstance because she is such a great devotee to offer that service. So when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came, and Maya came, and Hari Das was there, Hari Das initiated Maya Devi into the holy name. So she was chanting and having direct experience of the Lord at that time. So it's interesting that whole, if we really think, what a, what a, we think it's a th- it's a thankless task. So this dravya, rather it is only a potency. The material world is a potency. It's coming from the Lord. It's manifesting out of his energy. He's not in any way affected by it. It's not part of his essential nature. But that doesn't mean the contradictory nature of that energy cannot be part of his nature, part of his manifestation, part of his energies. It's beyond logic. It takes some fine discrimination. It takes the fine discrimination that's available in really deep, deep circles of, 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 of spiritual thought. That's what the Bhagavatam has to offer, is, is these, this kind of reasoning, this kind of thinking, where we can, we can have a mind that can accept two contradictory positions, and we can still comprehend them and you know it's 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 a real deep about it's not this is not an education that you get in the in the university this is an education that comes through good association through some good service attitude through some changing of our own heart allows our intelligence to grasp these ideas so jiva is introducing that here Gradually, step by step. So it's endowed with one quality. It exists, is what Jeeva is saying here. Emanating from but a semblance of his essential being, a semblance, 
It's not his essential being, but it's it looks like it is. Uh, it's a semblance, and it's endowed with the quality of sat alone, sat chitananda. So it's only endowed with the the existence, it's the elemental aspect. The Chintamani gem also functions similarly. So the Chintamani gem, if we were to ever find one, we would be able to see that its its potency is such that it it can transform what iron into gold, but it doesn't change. So wherever you take it, it can continue to do that. So. Imagine that kind of a potency, or like a magnet. With a magnet, you can you can pick up iron filings, but it doesn't affect the magnet in any way. It's just that potency is there, the gentomony gem. Certain herbs, you know, you you have an herb and you get you're sick. It can it can deal with that. So. So here we're seeing that Paramatma is the Upadam, the constituting cause. It's not disproven. He actually is the cause of the constituents or the material elements. But they come out gradually. They come from very, very subtle up to the gross. And that's fully covered in the third canto. And I believe Jiva says that here. He goes on. Therefore, the constituting or phenomenal cause, the constituent cause, the phenomenal cause, Upadan, of the universe is sometimes called Brahman and sometimes called Pradhana. The modifiable potency, Parinam Shakti, called Maya, is also described as being twofold, which we went over. The instrumental part, the Mita, known as Maya, and the phenomenal part, Upadan, the constituting ingredients, known as Pradhana. The distinction between the two is that the one that consists of potency alone is instrumental, Nirmita, whereas the composed of its emanations, whereas that composed of its emanations, or evolutes, Vyuha, is phenomenal, Upadan. Therefore, it is also said in the Shruti that some portion of Maya is devoid of consciousness, as in the following statement. He, Brahman, became both conscious and devoid of consciousness. So he, meaning Brahman, manifested, from Brahman was manifested the material universe. Part of it was conscious and part of it was unconscious. So that... Nimita, it's been referred to as variously now in the first section that we just studied. What? As as, uh, as time. The time element moved it. Or no, it was the, it's the daiva. It's the, it's the destiny created by our actions that move matter. 
So all these different explanations we went over as to what the Nimita cause, the cause was. But behind all of those, behind all of those, there is the conscious element. Like, is it karma that moves the world? Is it our destiny? Well, what, what, it's not like that is not something that requires an intervention of consciousness. For us to experience karma, well, there's, there's that personality who dispenses karma in this world. Yamaraj, he's keeping track. You know, so there's an agent, a conscious agent there. Or if we look, if we want to look at the Namita agent as time, well, that's conscious. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, time I am. So his, his consciousness is pushing from a state of suspended animation, matter suspended, we're suspended in, in, in the Lord, to animation and the, the the energy that's animating is is time. So if we look to the to the Namita aspect, there is consciousness behind it. No matter how you no matter what explanation that Jiva gave, ultimately if you look behind it, there has to be a conscious agent there enacting it whatever nomenclature you want to give it. If you want to say it's your destiny, if you want to say it's time, if you want to say it's adiatmic, adibaltic, adidaivic, all these have their respective, you know, adiatmic is I'm conscious of what's happening through what? Adidaivic. I have senses which are controlled by demigods. So those are letting me experience the world, Adibaltic, which is you could look at as 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 the as the elemental component of nature. However you want to look at it, and Jiva's presented a few different ways. But basically behind any of those ways there has to be a conscious thinking, feeling, and willing, even if you think as that ability of thinking and feeling and willing is what's creating our the perpetual motion of our material existence. So we'll go on, and and this this develops quite nicely here in respect to Paramatma and ourselves. That Pradhan undergoes modification, parinama, parinama means to modify something, is also clearly evident in our principal authoritative text, Srimad Bhagavatam. And then Jiva says, this is all from his Anucheta that I'm reading. This topic is discussed in primary terms in the third canto and elsewhere in the context of evolutionary theory. So, we've We've touched upon, although we didn't go into it deeply, this whole evolutionary theory is presented in the theory of Sankhya, coming from the Bhagavatam, that first there is uh, sound, and then there has to be a media medium for sound to travel to our ear, 
and that's ether, and then there has to be, you know, so there has to be the ton matra, the sound itself, then the media that carries the sound, then the sense that can perceive the sound, then the gross sense, which is a, a physical thing, that's the receptacle and the, the uh, what do you want to say, the place where resides the subtle ability, and then you have to have somebody, well, somebody's got to control the ether that's allowing the, the carrying of the sound. So the diva is there, the demigod is there. And the demigods, without the sun, we do not see, without... Now, with the stem of God, we do not taste water without vayu, you know, without the air. We don't feel the air without the demigod of air. So all these, all these are, are very subtle agents, conscious agents of the actions that are happening within the material world. Uh, they are superintendents of these. And some even look at them. It depends also on on, on um, different spiritual lineages or, or cultures look at them differently. Like Native Americans, they also recognize these same enter, uh, what do you want to say agents of these various actions that happen in the world. We'd say that there's not a lot of difference in the way they're looked upon in the various cultures, except in the Indian culture, we just have such, it just keeps going. There's like, you know, okay, well, these are out front, you know, we see, you know, these simple representations of elements and you can worship those or you can worship them in a more mature way. You can worship them individually like you would say, the Native Americans, they, they look at nature and they, they worship the different aspects of nature, whatever, Mother Earth or, or how, I don't know that much about the culture. But, but, then, but then, yes, but then you go further in the Vedic tradition, what do we have? We have the yogis that are doing the same thing, but their conception is a little bit more developed because they're seeing, ah, oh, there's one personality and these different things are different aspects of that personality's body. Then we that now we're talking about an evolution of 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 theistic concept from just uh, pantheism, seeing the Lord in nature, to seeing nature in the Lord. So now we're seeing, oh, the Lord has can be conceived of. But we go beyond that in our understanding and then the yogi be, matures beyond that simple conception to seeing, well, actually it's his spiritual potency that's doing everything. This one personality is empowering different agents of action. So he's empowering these various, what we would call demigods, what the natives would call spirit gods, uh, what uh, Guru Maharaj sometimes referred to as what sky gods, 
They're they're there. They're doing their job. You don't see them, but you know if they weren't pulling the strings, you know, not, nothing would go forward. And sometimes they pull our string at the same time when a storm comes in, and you know, all of a sudden there's no power. <laughs> there's too much water, and the water turns the earth into mud, and the mud falls down. The trees fall down because the mud's loose, and all of a sudden it's like, wow! I thought. I thought this world was about me, and actually, I'm so insignificant here, I can't control any of this. And, and we're w- woken up a little bit to the reality of our predicament within the material nature. So, there's a modification, pradhan, the elements go through a modification, the modification, uh, parinama, is, is explained in that way, and how the elements evolve in the third canto, Jiva saying here, and elsewhere in the Bhagavatam. It is also discussed in, this, in secondary terms as an auxiliary anga of knowledge, jnana, and detachment by ragya, thereby supporting the reconciliation with other Puranas in which such methods are advocate, advocated as the means of liberation. Behind all that understanding are practices even put forth in the Vedic literature that incorporate that kind of understanding as a way of what? what do the, what's the objective of those that enter deeply into Sankhya philosophy? Their deep entrances meant to what? To foster detachment. To see... If you turn my ears off, I'm still here. You can take my ears and my eyes away. But, you know, it's, it, it's, life's difficult, but I can still survive. We were watching some, dis- what is that, Discovery or Earth, Planet, Planet Earth, and they're, you know, talking about different environments, the different living entities in the environments. Here's an environment, a desert, and in the desert, there's a, a there's a little mole, and the mole can't. It has no eyes. It has no eyes, but it survives. So that sense isn't there, but it's got other senses, and it it finds the food. It finds food. It eats, but it can't see. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't know if it's day or night, or doesn't you know? But it's it's still surviving. Quite an interesting show. I was amazed. It's like, if people could watch this and not believe in God, I just don't know. It's the whole time I'm watching this with, you know, Shamsaki and, you know, Shamsaki Shaki liked it and turned us on to it. It's like, if they're not believing in God after this show, I don't know where their heads are at because this just can't be happening by chance. There was no big bang that came up with this level of sophisticated, you know, interaction of the species and the species with the environment and the plants and it's all working perfectly together until along comes these two-legged animals but that's a story for another time hopefully not our time the end of times maybe but be that as it may so for detachment for knowledge and detachment this study of Sankhya, this gyan, this knowledge of Sankhya, 
helps to lead to detachment and and leads to, you know, vairagya, sananga. So it leads to knowledge, that knowledge. By that knowledge, you become detached, just like the verse that we started out this evening. That's what the verse in the Bhagavatam is saying. You're learning about Maya. Maya, by learning about Maya, you're going to become detached from Naya. So it's not Maya to learn about Maya. It's Maya not to learn about Maya. And it's also Maya to to try to jump into spiritual understandings which are beyond our qualification. That doesn't mean we don't hear from the sadhus of the leelas and we don't aspire, but we don't, for us to, to, to sit and and say, well, I'm, I'm going to begin to contemplate the, you know, the, the daily pastimes. I want to enter into those leelas at a, in a preliminary stage of devotional practice. It's not going to go well. You know, you have to have some bandagyan. You have to be sufficiently detached. You have to have sufficient knowledge. And from that, then the realizations will come. Then the full detachment will come. You have to work according to your qualification. Uh, if, if, if you're not entering into a samadhi like state when you're in bhajan with the holy name then we still have some work to do but we should it's that's not a bad thing to progress gradually step by step you know it may not happen in one lifetime we have to have realistic expectations i was writing an article three or four years ago under uh Swami's direction and uh, on some aspects of Madhurya Kadambani. And he says, you need to stress in this article, and he said it to me three or four times in my back and forth regarding things I wanted to get into. And he said, realistic expectations. Devotees have to have realistic expectations. And then he said to me, how many devotees do you think are going to be able to enter into samadhi in this lifetime that you know? I said, I don't know about the other devotees, but it's probably not going to happen for me. I mean, I try to chant attentively, but, you know, I'm still here. I'm still hearing the rain falling on the RV. I'm still, you know, uh, I, 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 I haven't yet fallen into a state of unconsciousness at any time in a kirtan or at any time in a bhajan or at any time. You know, it's not like I'm, uh, you know... Um, you know it's not like I've I've jumped up from my chair and trashed my apartment because somebody chanted a verse from the from the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam that just hasn't happened for me so you know these are the this is where my consciousness is let me understand what the hell is happening in Krishna's energy here and maybe if I can begin to see him in this energy, I can begin to co- contemplate that other energy in good association. Mm-hmm. It's not that we neglect to hear from the sadhus. The sadhus, are, as long as we have a sadhu that's a step ahead of us, 
we're in the right place, you know. We're, 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 but if you get you, you go in too deep, then you find out there's there could be some difficulty. So we shouldn't be utsahannis karma pavartadat enthusiasm, patience, and confidence. The the program works. We should be enthusiastic for the fact that it does work, but we need to be patient and we need to be we need to be realistic in our expectations. So we understand here the fact that this knowledge of the elemental causes are used by certain transcendentalists, uh, and the Sankhya philosophy is very beneficial for them in gaining detachment and knowledge, which assists them in their spiritual advancement. In select places, in prayers and so on, when even the theory of Vivarta, I'm sorry, Vivarta, the falsity of the world appeared, of the world's appearance, is discussed as an auxiliary to knowledge and detachment, the intent is not to show that the universe is redundant, false, or non-essential. Rather, the intent is to make evident that the notions of I and mine have been falsely superimposed either on the pure paramatma in regards to the universe as a whole, samasti, or upon his integrated part, the individual self, atma, in regards to its individual body, vyasti. The universe itself is real, however, having come into being as a result of the modification parinam of pradhan, which is an emanation vyuha from paramatma. So we'll continue and go into this a little bit more, just so we understand what Jiva's saying here regarding, you know, uh, samasti and vyasti. This whole concept that both of them, in related in relation to the material manifestation, they have to be. It's not just an illusion. So it has its place, but there's there's something deeper there. So I'll save that for the next discussion. Um, basically, we've begun. I just want to develop that a little bit more fully. I don't want to rush through it. So I'll stop there for this evening. Thank you so much for your association. <laughs>